What's up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. This is episode number 45, I believe. And my guest today is Matt Feldick. How's it going, man? Good. How are you doing today, man? I'm quite well. It's uh, it's a bit of a uh, cold day here in Dallas. We got down to mid-30s, actually, So, which is rough because... On Sunday, it was just under 80, so bit of a bit of a cold front, if you will. Everybody's freaking out because that's what we do here in Texas when it gets cold. But um, other than that, things are going well. So. Yeah, man, that sounds like it's pretty cold for Texas. It is. It is. Um, I saw ice on a car when I was driving Ooh. earlier, so that's uh, that's very uncommon. I heard it. It snowed in Waco the other either yesterday or this morning, so very very uncommon. So, but you probably don't have to worry too much about cold weather as well, right? In yeah, Atlanta, uh, it doesn't get too cold here. Some mornings it'll be down in the in the low 30s, but for the most part, it's the highs are pretty warm and um, not quite as warm as uh, Dallas, but it's. I think 60, 62 out right now and just pouring rain, but it's Ooh. not super cold, which is nice. I'd take that over 33. But. <laughs> so, you're not originally from Atlanta, correct? Correct, I am not. Awesome. So, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and how you got into the sport of running, and, and uh, just kind of catch us up on everything from your past, I guess. Distant past. Yeah. yeah, man. So I'm originally from uh, from the state of Illinois, fellow Midwesterner. Mm-hmm. Um, lived there basically my entire life until about 2015. But, um, you know, going kind of back I, in terms of my running career, um, I kind of got introduced to the sport right away. My dad was a high school cross country and track coach. So I've been around the sport of running basically since I was born. Um, My mom used to work for the arthritis foundation and put on like local races. So I've been um, basically exposed to the sport from like a super young age. And that's kind of where like I found the passion for the sport was just being like fully immersed and submerged into the, uh, like the atmosphere. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I ran my first road race, a local, like three quarter mile Turkey trot when I was like four. Um, wow. I started running competitively on the track when I was eight doing like AAU USATF stuff. And then it, you know, it progressed into a more traditional, like middle school, high school. I was fortunate enough to run collegiately, um, and then I've continued to train post-collegiately. So it, it transitioned a bit more traditionally from there. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, my my background or experience or start in the sport is basically like as long as I can remember. So, um, you know, <laughs> since I can remember anything, I've been basically running. So um, it goes back a, a really long ways. And um, I think part of that, like part of it starting so early is like, it can be detrimental, you know, it, there's the risk of burnout and things like mm-hmm. that, but mm-hmm. it's, it's been something that 
has just always uh like i've always been passionate about so um yeah it's something that i'm thankful to still be involved in and um i'm glad that you know i fell in love with a sport that isn't as bad on my body as some other sports might be so for sure a little less uh contact let's say yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly and i'm fortunate to be you know genetically built to where uh contact sports maybe weren't the most sensible <laughs> avenue for me <laughs> nice nice yeah that's one of those things uh there the the risk of overuse injury is higher but the risk of contact traumatic injury is much much lower it just doesn't really happen so um you know there's pros and cons to every sport but the the barrier to entry when it comes to running is relatively low. Pretty much anybody can do it. Um, all the equipment you need is, you know, a pair of shoes, and that's that's pretty much it. So that's one of the one of the really good things. Um, so would you say that you were forced into running, or were you more encouraged into uh, into the sport? Um, I would say almost neither, in a way, like. Obviously, my, my parents were encouraging of me pursuing the sport, but the pursuit was always mine. And I think that that like goes back into why I've done it for so long is like mm -hmm. initially it was me wanting to be in the sport and it wasn't, hey, you should sign up for this because you might be good at it. It was, uh, you know, my dad had to travel to, to track meets on weekends or on weeknights or he had cross country meets on the weekends like. And as a really young boy, like you want to spend time with your dad. So if you can, mm -hmm. you go and do what they do. And it was more like me just being immersed in it that I developed my own passion for mm -hmm. the for the activity or the sport. And like, obviously, my parents are encur were encouraging throughout the whole time. But I wouldn't say like that that was why I started. Gotcha. Um, that it was mm -hmm. more like that helped me maybe more along the way. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, that that makes sense just because of. Kind of like you said, it, uh, it's not very common for people to be in a sport, you know, essentially their entire life if they've been forced to do it at any point, you know, in, in that time. So, um, you know, for, for any parents who are currently watching or listening, forcing your kids to do a sport is probably going to backfire on you at some point, and it's probably going to be sooner rather than later. So encouraging your kids to... Um, to play sports is definitely recommended. Like I definitely think that that's a good idea. Uh, sports teach so much more than just um, movement uh, acuity, let's say. You learn a, a heck of a lot more than that. But, um, yeah, I'm, I know plenty of, of parents who force their kids to play sports that they played and the kid just really doesn't enjoy it. And then I know other parents who are like, hey, play whatever sport you want, kids. And those kids tend to do really, really well. And they stay, you know, active for much longer. So, um, yeah, so yeah, definitely. props and to your like, parents, man. Thanks. And just touching on that, <laughs> like, I've like got to see that a lot kind of firsthand just because I started competitively in the sport at like a really, really young age. Um, like running my first national competition for AAU when I was like eight or nine, mm. that I've like competed against a lot of people who, by the time they got into high school or college, like stopped competing. And a lot of it goes back to that. And 
maybe it's not necessarily like a parental issue, but it's like, it's hard to have a passion for the sport for that long, especially if it's, um, you know, something that you're kind of forced into. For sure. So speaking of forced into, we were forced to meet back a while. Uh, let's see. It's probably around 2012, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. So I had already finished up my internship with Coach Harger and the Indiana Invaders Professional Running Club in Indianapolis, but I stuck around to uh, to continue to work with the team and to um, I liked Indianapolis. So after my internship ended, my grad school uh, master's degree was finished, and um, I didn't really know what else to do. And Coach Harger was like, "Hey, it's an Olympic year. Let's." Uh, you know, let's see what happens. So um, I had finished up and then you and a, a it, was, it was kind of a, a decent sized group of guys kind of came in not too long after I finished up. So tell us a little bit about from your perspective, how we met, um, initial impressions and kind of why why you were working that direction towards towards either the coaching or working with professional runners? Yeah, so I guess it, it kind of starts maybe more so with the why I was even in Indianapolis in terms of pursuing an internship. And a lot of that goes into like my educational background at the time. In 2012, I had just finished my undergrad degree in exercise science. And our program had like a heavy emphasis on human physiology and um, more of that structure, but I, at the time, had just finished running in college and wanted to try and stay in the sport and pursue coaching. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I pursued this internship, and that's kind of where I, I met you. And um, that, like, initial meeting, and and I don't know if this is, like, actually the first time we met, but I remember, <laughs> like, we were at that really not-so-great track at Crispus Attucks High School, yeah. I'm almost positive that was the first time I ever met you. And the one thing that stood out to me was like how much you actually knew about uh, like the science behind the training, because that wasn't yeah. uh, that wasn't super common in terms. And you see that a lot in coaching as a whole, even the great coaches, some of them don't fully get the, the science behind like why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And like that uh, made me really appreciate like what you were doing as mm -hmm. a professional at that time. Uh, you know, with, I think at that time you were more in the strength and conditioning side of things already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I really appreciated just the, the, uh, like passion or knowledge, uh, of the science that you had. And, um, that helped kind of guide me a little bit in terms of like, Hey, just because you're doing an internship, um, like with a, with a coach doesn't mean that you can't also like take the science and begin molding your own training philosophies and stuff like that. And so I think mm -hmm. I learned just as much from like our brief interactions at the time, mm -hmm. um, as I did from like, you know, helping, uh, helping run practices and stuff like that with a group of basically sub elite, elite development, middle distance guys. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of how I got there. From there, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, to be honest. I 
Um, I learned pretty quickly that I, I wasn't going to immediately pursue coaching and went on to like get my master's degree in exercise science from the same university. So again, it was a more like physiology based program, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that that, that coaching internship and you had done, you know, basically the same one that I had done that internship as a whole really helped kind of mold me into like the professional that I am today, whether it's in coaching, whether it's in um, training myself, whether it's in marketing, like that just helped me, um, you know, foster a knowledge base for the sport that, um, you know, I still try and kind of carry on today. Yeah. The, the one thing that uh, going into to the internship with Indian Invaders that I, I really wasn't expecting was um, it was very, very unstructured. Like uh, for me, it, it was, it was supposed to be like my, my full-time job for, I don't I forgot how long, 12 weeks or something like that. Like it was, it was, you know, a big chunk of time. And upon getting there, it was like, okay, well, uh, you know, all, all the guys on the team are, they all have full-time jobs. You know, they're, they're kind of underdogs when it comes to, um, their position as a, as a professional runner. So nobody here has a shoe deal. Nobody here has any sponsorships. Like we help out as much as we can as, as a club and we, you know, provide relatively cheap housing and, you know, training and, and access to, um, what was that place called? NIFS national institute for fitness and sport so we kind of did all of our indoor training there and they could do weights and stuff there but you know like nobody practiced uh or they they couldn't get all the guys to practice there at the same time just because everybody's schedule was you know different so some guys were training early in the morning and some guys were training you know midday or or in the afternoon and some guys couldn't train you know till the evening so there were huge chunks of time where I was like, okay, what do I do here? Right. And if, um, at, at first that kind of bothered me because I was like, man, like I'm just going to have a lot of downtime and like, I feel like this is a waste, but, um, I think that was actually a good thing because then I was able to figure out like, okay, what things do I actually want to learn here? What things do I actually want to do? Um, what gaps do I see that can be filled? And then I was proactive in addressing some of those things and saying, Hey, coach Harger, um, you know, what, what sort of strength and conditioning pro program are these guys doing? Oh, well, you know, not really doing anything. My, my time there was really spent initially. The reason I went there is because I was going to be able to, to help rehab, um, Nate Browning who had just ruptured his Achilles tendon. Like he was like a 46 second 400 runner, like out of, you know, university of Kentucky. And, and that had just happened. And I was like, sweet, this is exactly the type of thing I want to do. And so I was really there to do that. But then it was like, okay, well, you know, now there's all these other guys that I can, um, I can be working with, you know, Ricky and Juan, and I've already had one on the podcast, which has been great. Um, but, you know, all the other guys that wanted to, you know, 
to address all these other aspects. I was working with Nate on his nutrition and supplementation and all this other stuff. So it could have been based off one person's perspective, a huge waste of time. And like you said, you know, it was kind of uh, maybe maybe one of the big stones or one of the big starting blocks of your professional career. And that's kind of how I view it because I was like, all right, I can I can do this. I can help out here. And I was helping Coach Harger out in the office doing a bunch of stuff. And I was like, like what what is that? Like, what's what are these spreadsheets? Why do you want me to do this? I didn't know, but I was just like, hey, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do whatever you need me to do. And you know, I think it was because of that that he was like, okay, it's been three months. Do you want to stay? Do you want to help out for another year? So, um, yeah. Long story short. Uh, it was it was a pretty pretty pivotal moment in my professional career as well because at the time, well, coming out of college, I thought I was just going to coach cross country and track. That's all I wanted to do. And then junior year, I injured my back, and that changed everything. Like I was like, oh okay, I need to know how to fix athletes. I need to know how to train around injuries. I need to know, you know, how to how to speed up the healing process from a from a biochemical standpoint and so that was essentially why I went on to to grad school to learn those things and and um yeah I didn't want to to not have answers for for people when they asked me like why are you coaching this way or why are we training this way and so um makes me makes me proud to hear you say that you know you were at, you were at least somewhat impressed with uh <laughs> <laughs> with my brain when when you guys came in because yeah I had too many too many interactions and experiences with people who were like well that's just the way you do it uh, that's not a good enough answer for me so I'm gonna try to find the answer so yeah no and I think that that's one of the big things is like I think that you and I think alike in a lot of in a lot of ways in terms of like always asking why basically mm-hmm. like and part of that is like the educational background and kind of how you're trained to think, at least from a physiology standpoint, like that's kind of the, the fundamental question is, well, why does, why does this stressor cause this adaptation? And so that was, you know, one big thing that I always appreciated you at, like you for was mm-hmm. you thought that same way and weren't always like just willing to accept the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, like at, in 2012, this was when like, weightlifting for distance runners was like very very uncommon still which mm-hmm. in 2020 that probably blows it blows my mind that we were like at a point back then and you were actually one of the first people who kind of introduced me to you know the benefits of strength training for distance running and things like that so um i've always appreciated that and then one kind of other thing to touch on in terms of what i enjoyed probably most or one of the key takeaways from that internship as well was like the networking component. So obviously mm-hmm. like I met you through that internship, but um, they hosted the, um, the America's Miler series mm-hmm. during the summer of mm-hmm. my internship, which was in 2012. So it was an Olympic year. Mm-hmm. And so I met like so many people, like my current boss, um, the first time I'd met him was at one of those races. And it's crazy that, five, 10 years down the road, like those relationships kind of come back to you. But like the networking component of that was also like super beneficial, like, and, and being able to talk to 
you know, some really great minds and the sport even briefly at those events was really cool. Yeah. The, one of the interesting things is, uh, uh, USATF is, is headquartered, you know, right there in, in Indianapolis. And, um, so there's tons of, you know, tons of track and field people right there. There's, um, there's a bunch of, of, you know, really good road races that are in the area. So like it, it just attracts a lot of, of people in the running industry, which is great. Um, man, that, that American Miler series or whatever it was called, those meets were like, they sucked having to set up for them because we had to do all of that. Like, you know, there, no one, and no one was getting paid to do it. But the cool thing was, is you had all these people who are trying to qualify for for the U.S. Olympic trials in the 400, the 800, the mile, and the 3K steeplechase. That's all we did, right? I mean, it was it was basically four four events, guys and girls, and it was all these super elite runners. Like looking back now, I'm like, man, like I saw some amazing races there, and you know, the meet would maybe last two to three hours because it wasn't, you know didn't get, you know, drug out with a million different events. So yeah, good no, times man, looking those, back. Yeah. Those meets were really, really awesome. And even for the athletes, like some of those meets were the last, like last possible opportunity for some of these people to qualify for the trials and uh, mm-hmm. like be able to be there and experience that. Like that was, that was really cool. Yeah. You know? There was, and there were some stacked races, like, like, you know, the, I remember one, it was like the the slowest seed time in the 800 was like 150, and like the fastest was like 145, 146. And then you've got like 12 guys who are all all right there. Like on any given day, you, you have no idea who's going to win it. So those were exciting to watch. Definitely. So, um, but yeah, so let's, uh, let's transition a little bit away from away from that and transition into how you got into kind of what you're doing now with regards to ultra running. Uh, yeah. So I'm trying to think of where it actually started. So I, like after that internship, I'd gone through grad school, so on and so forth. And then I'd taken like a job at a running, uh, like store running company. Mm -hmm. And I was watching just like, I was still training for road half marathons and marathons at this time. Um, and I was watching like shoe reviews and this guy, his name is the ginger runner. That's his like YouTube channel, but he Mm -hmm. does all these shoe reviews and stuff. But then I found out like, Oh, he runs like in the mountains and it's beautiful. And so like I started watching for, I don't know, a year or two. And like, I was living in the middle of nowhere in Illinois, like not a whole lot of, of like actual trail running, Mm -hmm. um, stuff like that but then you know i just kind of got tired of training for the road stuff mm-hmm. after a while like i'd moved down to atlanta during that time and it's a huge running community down here so there's events all the time but i just kind of like got not necessarily burnt out with road running but like i got to the point where was the juice worth the squeeze i guess like what more do i have to accomplish like mm-hmm. When I was younger, I had won an AAU 3K title on the track, and I'd run a marathon, and I'd run 
you know, 73 minutes for a half. And I was at one point I'd maybe been pretty close to fit enough to make the 2016 trials. And like, it just, I wasn't enjoying like the, the process of like training for those kind of races anymore. And like, Mm -hmm. I took like a little bit of time off after a race and just decided I didn't really want to continue to do that. And in that time I had started like going up into the North Georgia mountains where the Appalachian trail starts and had been like running and hiking up there and Mm -hmm. been running and hiking some like local trails, you know, closer to the city of Atlanta. And it just like, was more enjoyable mm-hmm. and like to me if i'm not going to qualify for the olympic trials or the olympic games then i should probably worry about like what makes me the happiest mm-hmm. and like i don't get paid to run so i should probably do what makes me happy and like that's kind of how i got into trail running mm-hmm. and then that just kind of naturally progressed like initially i was like pretty successful at like shorter trail stuff and part of that came from, like, having a, a good, like, road and track background and having that, like, general level of, like, overall fitness. Mm-hmm. And then that just kind of transitioned into longer stuff. And, like, I think, I guess the biggest takeaway is I just, like, in, have started to enjoy the process of training for that stuff more mm-hmm. than, I, than I was at the time for, for road and track running. And, I mean, that's all it was basically like there's no real rhyme or reason i just got tired of uh, you know trying to run 70 minutes for a half marathon like 70 minutes is is a good half marathon time but it's not 64 which you need to make the trials mm-hmm. so uh is it worth it and yeah i just wasn't enjoying like two hard efforts a week plus a long run plus all this high volume plus you're working a 40 hour week job like oh yeah I love to run, but I wasn't enjoying like that specific type of training at the mm-hmm. time. Gotcha. Cause yeah, that's, that's another thing that's getting more and more popular is these off the road races, just because I think so many people just get burned out from just road race after road race after road race. I, I never enjoyed, uh, racing on the roads. And like I've, when I was in high school, um, the, like the running club that I would work with during the summer and winter, um, they had a big, well, not big, they had a decent group who would go to the, uh, Peachtree every year. So I've, I've done, you know, Peachtree 10k three or four times, you know, 4th of July, it's hotter than all get out. And, uh, you know, that's, That's as far as I want to run on the road, man. Like, I can't imagine a half marathon or a marathon, so. Yeah. And I, like, just being based in Atlanta and, um, like, and I know we'll talk on this probably a bit later, but, like, working for Mizuno now, who is, like, the official footwear and apparel sponsor for the Peachtree Road Race, like, I do that race every year more as, like, it's a lot of fun. Like, Mm -hmm. that race is a, it's, like, enjoyable. Yeah. It's hot as as heck, but, like, it's fun, but like, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of desire to like continue to try and train and compete at a high level on the roads. And the other thing that interests me is like trail and ultra running is still at like a fairly infant stage. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a lot more competitive than it was say five or 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but it's so much 
different. And it's like, it's a new challenge. And can I be competitive at a high level on uh, like this surface on these trails? And there's so many more variables that can like play into having a bad race. Like not only is it like longer distance, obviously, but the amount of time you're out there is so much longer that there's so much more that can kind of go wrong. But it's, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is I wasn't enjoying the process and it's a new challenge. Like I come from, you know, a small town in the Midwest where it's pancake flat. And so to challenge myself to climb mountains is like that, that like excites me, you know, like that Mm -hmm. is motivation to wake up early to get in a morning run or to like stay up late and do your core session or get in some foam rolling and stretching or um, it's the reason to like nail your nutrition during a hard training block. Like it was hard for me to stay like super focused, even though I wasn't like super highly competitive on the roads. It was just, yeah, the question, like what more, what more is there really Mm -hmm. that I need to like prove? For sure. Yeah, I, I imagine that right now is probably a really good time to get into the sport because it's it's like the wave of of the kind of like crazy ultra runners who just like had absolutely no periodization, no programming, no idea of like the best way to plan and prepare for it. Those guys kind of did their thing and now it's a whole bunch of people who've who've come from the sport of road racing, who've come from marathoning, half marathoning, who are like, here's how you program things out. Here's how you train. You don't just go and run a marathon every day. Um, you know, you, you want to, you want it to be a little more nuanced for sure. And, you know, not everybody has jumped into that yet. So it's probably, you know, it's probably the golden time for someone like you who who can you know plan this stuff out yeah no definitely and it's like it's a really interesting time because you're seeing like more people starting to like you said pick up on like actual training theory and training structure and um Mm -hmm. you're seeing you're also seeing like probably a little bit higher ability level of people coming over Mm -hmm. but then you have like really interesting like outliers in the sports like people who don't follow traditional training structure who are super successful still like Mm -hmm. and and it's interesting to it's interesting to see and it's yeah i mean and there are things like outside of training structure that are super important to trail and ultra running like when you're on your feet that long like i said there are just so many more variables that come into play Mm -hmm. that training training and how structured your training is is only like a piece of the puzzle Whereas, mm-hmm. like, in road running, it's probably more like a majority of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the entire thing, but it's it's a lot of it is, you know, what is your training like leading into a race? That's going to dictate the outcome a lot. Whereas in trail and ultra running, you could show up to the starting line super healthy and super fit, and you could still end up dropping out of the race and not finishing because there are just so many other things that that play into it you know yeah it's it's crazy i can't imagine just hey let's have a race over that mountain like (laughs) yeah there's a a lot more involved there variable wise that's for sure so um 
So what is what does training look like for you know? Um, I can't even say what what's a what's a run of the mill ultra race? Is that 50 miles? Is that 50k? Is that 100? Like what's what's your average race? And then what does training look like for that? Yeah. So I mean, for me personally, like I'm I stick probably more to like challenging 50k's or maybe even more run of the mill 50k's, but like ultras overall these days will range anywhere from 50k to 200 miles so there's like a lot more variability there but um i've only run kind of 50ks in the past this year i'll be running my first 100k um and that that's not until october so it gives me like a good amount of time to kind of have a pretty um traditional progression into Mm -hmm. like as far as training goes but um as far as like what training would look like for me going into like, say a goal 50 K race, it's actually going to be like pretty similar to like what marathon training would look like for someone who's trying to compete at a fairly high level at say Chicago or something like that. You know, you're going to go through your more traditional phases where you're in more of like a base building phase and then you're going to kind of strategically focus on the different energy, energy systems. It's just all about like the amount of time you spend doing that work. So for mm-hmm. me personally, I'm doing like obviously a lot of aerobic work and that's more like your easy runs. And then I'll do probably like one hard effort a week, which is typically more threshold based. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it'll be, you know, maybe, um, maybe a bit more like maximum velocity type work, but not super often because I try to do strides two or three times a week, which is sufficient enough for this race or like this distance to get in, you know, the like similar benefits for like running economy and stuff like that in terms of turnover. So my, my structure typically is more like strength and volume based. Mm-hmm. But overall, you'll see you'll see people who race hundred mile races and they run forty miles a week. They run four <laughs> days a week, and their long run is twenty to twenty five miles. Oh, so they're man. running their other three days. They're getting in four or five miles, and then on the weekend they're going to the mountains. But like the big <laughs> the big thing that changes is like you have to kind of like train for the event a bit more. So a little bit of specificity in terms of like the elevation profile. So mm-hmm. if you're running, say the Chicago marathon, you don't need to worry about like how hilly or not hilly your routes are for the most part. Um, you need to be running on like relatively flat or rolling surfaces. If you're climbing mountains every day, that could be an issue, but mm-hmm. for trail running, you have to like, you don't have to, obviously what has seemed to work best for me is to like factor in um, like training elevation like getting hill work in on your easy runs and then structuring in hill specific workouts and things like that on top of you know you're spending a lot more time on your feet so um you know say a normal training week when i'm training for road marathons is say nine to ten hours training for an ultra marathon i might be spending 14 hours training a week Mm -hmm. just because 
like you need that time on feet or that total volume in order to like kind of be somewhat successful for the most part. Obviously, you're going to have um, outliers. And if you're just trying to finish the race, then um, you might not need as like structured and detailed a training. But mm-hmm. like I typically want to try and run like competitively as best I can based on my fitness at the time. And so I try and like kind of transition or translate the things that I've learned from road running and kind of the science behind a lot of that stuff into trail running. And you're actually, you're seeing a lot of like, you know, the better coaches in the sport doing, you know, kind of the same thing. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, if you're going to be doing, a 50k trail run doing all your running on a treadmill or around the track is probably not going to cut it like you've probably got to mimic that terrain as much as you can and um what like as far as the accumulated threshold running that you're doing um how much of that are you doing in a week let's say uh i mean it kind of depends on the week, um, but it would be, say, say no more than probably 15%, 10% of my total volume, probably less than that even. So, like, the way I tend to structure it is, so say I'm running 100 miles in a week, which would be a, a very high week for me. Mm-hmm. I'm still probably only going to have, like, one workout-specific day, and so that could be, like, say a two mile warm up, a 10 mile tempo or an eight mile tempo and a two mile cool down, just as like a general example. Mm-hmm. And so the overall percentage is probably not a ton, but you're then also factoring in like you're getting some VO2 max, some very brief uh, like anaerobic work in with strides, which is just going to improve running economy. It's not going to really do anything else for you, but Mm-hmm. It's not a ton of real threshold-based training, to be honest. But it, I think over time it does kind of add up. And staying in touch with those energy systems, I think, is always beneficial. For sure. No, I would totally agree with that. Um, it, it sounds to me like you're, you're looking at, you know, like everything has a, has a cost-to-benefit ratio. And you're looking at, like you've got to prioritize things like what's the most important thing. Well, it's to accumulate volume. It's not to accumulate speed volume. So if you're accumulating the mileage, if you're, if you're getting time, you know, like in, in strength and conditioning, we, we often talk about time under tension. Like you've got to accumulate time doing the activity. That's going to make you better at the activity. If you're so focused on accumulating uh, mileage at threshold, then you're not going to be able to get the volume. So, um, yeah, that makes sense to me, but still, still putting some emphasis on it. I think that's like you said, it's going to help with running economy. It's going to make it so that, uh, you know, if you're, here's kind of the way I think about it when it comes to improving strength, when it comes to improving, um, speed, when it comes to improving endurance, what, pretty much whatever the variable is, you want to accumulate volume at whatever your goal pace or goal, uh, 
strength number might be. Like, let's say you want to bench 400, right? That's, I hate talking about benching, but that's probably one of the, let's say squat, squat or deadlift. It's much better. You want to deadlift 400 pounds, okay? You've got to accumulate volume doing reps where you're working at, at a very, relatively speaking, at a low percentage of that. Right. And then you've got to accumulate volume where you're working, you know, closer to, um, you know, let's say 85 to 90 percent of that. And then there's times where you've got to you've got to get close to that. You know, you have to if you want to be able to deadlift 400 pounds and you're only deadlifting 300 and you're doing all your work around 300. That one time you try to do 400, it's going to feel really, really difficult. Your body's just not going to be prepped for it. Your anatomical structures aren't going to aren't going to be able to withstand that extra 100 pounds in force that you've got to overcome. So your tendons aren't going to like that. Your ligaments really aren't going to like that. Even if your muscles are strong enough to do it, um, the rest of the structures just aren't prepared. So if you want to be able to withstand a 50K, you're doing yourself a favor by training faster than, you know, the speed that you'll be, you'll be racing that 50 K. And so, um, just makes sense to me, like whatever your, your, the distance that you're running is and the pace that you're, that your goal timed or that you're, you're preparing for, like getting some training in that's faster than your goal pace, get some training in that's at your goal pace. And for something like the endurance events, you're going to have to accumulate a lot of volume slower than your goal pace just because you've got to build that those uh, those aerobic processes, the, the enzymes to utilize the aerobic system more effectively, the catalysts, the, you want to build up your mitochondrial content and, and concentration. So there's a whole lot going into, into training more so than just, you know, go run. Yeah. And one of the, like, one of the really interesting things about like mountain running and ultra running as a whole is you use like, yes, the event is say 99% aerobic. It might actually be less than that in a lot of ways, because as you're say climbing a mountain, you may be in like a, a lactate threshold phase based on your, like your heart rate and how hard you're working even yeah. though you're going like super slow or mm -hmm. like slowish, it's like I've, I've always found that like super interesting that when you're climbing a mountain, you may not be going very fast, but you may be working so hard to move your frame up this mountain that you like you kind of have to do some threshold training. Otherwise, you're going to make it one mile on a four mile climb and you're going to sit down on the side of the trail and like. I've, I've been there when I first moved into the sport. I thought I'm faster than everyone else because I'm fresh off, like, you know, crushing it on the roads or running well on the roads. Like mm -hmm. this will be nothing, but there's, there's like a lot more to it. Um, which is part of what like makes it interesting. And then like, obviously going back to kind of the over speed type stuff, like I think strides are super beneficial and over speed training is super beneficial for almost everyone like i was reading an article or a research i don't remember if it was peer reviewed or not but it's like basically sprinting is one of the best ways to improve range of motion and like mm. you never really think of it you always think like oh you know do dynamic stretching dynamic drills things like that well sprinting is that and so 
that's actually probably one of the main reasons that I use like strides as frequently as I do, which um, is maybe more often than a lot of people in the, in the ultra running space is because it helps me kind of maintain a good range of motion in uh, kind of the hips, the hamstrings, glutes, things like that. So um, yeah. yeah, distance running is by nature. Uh, it's sub maximal with regards to intensity and effort. And it's also very, very much submaximal with, with regards to range of motion, to full hip flexion, full hip extension. You just, you just, the goal is to be as efficient as possible when you're moving for that long. And so the body will, will, you know, kind of sink you into a range where it's like, hey, we can get the most out of, uh, the most bang for our buck calorie wise and neurologically, uh, neurological demand wise, if we stick things here but um yeah so all that to say uh define what you mean by strides like explain explain what that entails because i mean everybody talks about strides is that like is that working up to a full sprint is that is that focusing on on high quality sprint mechanics and just working up to you know just under what you could you know, muscle out as much as you could, or are you like, what does, what does that mean? Because for a lot of people strides can mean just, you know, mile race pace for some people. It's just, you're not even worried about your speed. You're just building up to, to, you know, just, you're going to do a hundred meters and just build up and then slow down. Like what is, what does, wow. What does stride mean to you? Yeah, so that's a, a really good question because it can mean just about anything to anyone. So the way like I like to structure my strides is in probably two different ways, although sometimes I do use like a third way. But one of the kind of two ways that I alternate is basically something like eight by 10 seconds, pretty close to all out. Um, obviously, that's taking into account you don't want to get hurt things like that so it's not a hundred percent maximum velocity but it's it's cl- like it's a controlled hard effort mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the main ways because i think as like distance runners and the further you go up in distance the less like real hard running you traditionally do and mm-hmm. i think it's super important and so I try and do, and it may be, say, 8 by 6 seconds, 8 by 10 seconds. If I'm on a track, it might be, say, 8 by 50 meters, something like that, where it's like I want to go really hard without injuring myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's, like, one of the predominant ways I do it. The other way is something like, say, 6 by 150-meter uh, buildup. So the first – 50 meters might be at, say, mile pace. The second 50 meters might be at uh, half mile pace or 800 pace. And then the last 50 is, again, pretty close to all out without risking injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know what those would typically be in seconds. I typically don't do those as often, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the third way that I will occasionally do strides, and I don't do it very often, is say four by 200 at basically just mile pace. Mm -hmm. Um, 
with like full recovery. And so that would be something like maybe the day before a workout could be good to where you're just getting a little bit of turnover without like really, really having to work or maybe you're feeling a little bit of sore and you know, you need to like, you need to do strides, but um, maybe you're just not recovered from a long run or a workout or whatever the case may be. Um, Mm -hmm. That those were actually, that was the form of strides that we probably did the most when I was in college Mm -hmm. was four by 200 at probably closer to 800 pace. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I just, I probably prefer in um, a lot of it's like just the way that I use them in my overall training structure to do just short, shorter, like harder efforts. Um, Whether it's uh, eight by 60 or 50 meters or six by 150, um, something like that. I typically like the volume per session to be around 800 meters. Mm -hmm. Um, there's no real probably rhyme or reason to it. It's just kind of overall preference. So if I do that three times a week, I'm getting in a mile and a half of like real hard effort training. And if I'm running 50 miles a week, that's 3% of my training. If I'm running a hundred miles a week, it's one and a half percent. But, um, like it's good to just occasionally spend a little bit of time working really hard because, um, it's good for you. And there are times like in a trail race where you need to be able to turn over your legs really, really fast, whether you're mostly when you're running basically downhill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to end up rolling down the hill, I'm sure. So yeah. being able, being able to pick your feet up and put them down quickly is probably a, a useful tool to have in your, to- in your toolbox. So awesome. Well, Talking about elevation, this is perfect segue. So tell us what you're doing right now with your uh, steep life challenge. Yeah, so the steep life challenge is basically just something I made up to challenge myself, in all honesty. But it kind of stems from a YouTube channel that I followed when I was new to the sport and still follow today called Run Steep Get High. And obviously, it's a really funny play on words there, but um, (laughs) they host a lot of trail races out in the Phoenix area, and the owner of the YouTube channel and owner of the the company is uh, his, he does basically a lot of like crazy challenging races, and his channel all started with him needing to train for this race, and he wanted to run like something crazy, like Sorry if I just went away there. He wanted to run, sorry, he wanted to run some crazy amount of elevation in a four-week period, like 100,000 feet of vertical gain in four weeks, which is insane. It's it's crazy. (laughs) And so I've been, like, probably in the last three months, like, maybe, well, no, I mean, all last year I had basically a pretty garbage week training-wise. Like, my wife and I had our first kid. I took a new job. We moved into a house like a lot going on and that like there's only 24 hours in a day. So you have to kind of pull from maybe less valuable places at the time. And that meant not being able to train as hard. Mm-hmm. And so over the last, maybe probably since December, I'd been, you know, struggling with like, I felt motivated to run, but nothing really like interest me to run. If that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to do it, but the act of doing it wasn't like super easy. It wasn't like 
oh, let me go. I don't live near trails anymore. So it was like, let me go trot around the like roads of this Atlanta suburb. And like, that wasn't super fun. So, um, about a week ago, I was watching some old YouTube videos and was like, you know, I should do this. Another, the ginger runner who I talked about before, he had done his first hundred mile week at the end of last year. And this run steep, get high channel started, you know, doing their YouTube videos again. And like the kind of underlying message that I was taking was like, ah, like, what is your hundred mile week? Like I've run a hundred miles in a week before quite often. Like I didn't want to do that, but like what was something that was going to challenge me and was going to be the reason that I got out of bed early in the morning and the reason I would go run really late at night. And basically I looked at like, what, what is, what challenges me? Why, why do I want to continue running? And that was to be a better trail runner, so on and so forth. And so I basically created this challenge with an homage to the run steep, get high channel. That is the steep life challenge. And I'm posting videos on it about once a week that kind of documents this journey. But my goal is in the month of February to run 50,000 feet of vertical gain. Um, and to put that in perspective, because for some people that's not that much. And for some people that's sounds like a crazy amount for me, that's a lot. Like prior to this, I'd only my highest vertical week or month was 25,000 feet. And that was when I was like peaking for an ultra marathon in 2016. Mm-hmm. And so like, I just don't run that much vertical. Yeah. And so I just, I wanted to do it. Like it's, it's scary. It's challenging. I don't know that my like body is physically strong enough to carry me that much vertical feet day after day and not get injured. Like, I don't know if I can even do it, but I'm going to try and it's going to be a lot of fun. And at the very least I'm going to like learn things about myself that I didn't know before. And that's like one of the beauties of ultra running is like you're going to go to the shittiest places you've ever put yourself in before (laughs) in your life. Like my first ultra, I was not having, I was having stomach issues at like mile 20 and it got to the point where I thought to myself, I still have five miles to go after I've run 26 miles. I don't know if I can do it. Mm. And like you, you put yourself in these positions and to be able to, like do that with the training aspect of things I think is like super super exciting for me and like like I said it's going to be hard I'm going to document it whether I am successful or fail like I'm I'm gonna do it I'm going to run 50,000 feet this month it may just hurt a lot but like I'm going to get it done and it's going to be a challenge and I'm gonna suffer but Mm -hmm. like that's what I signed up for that's like why I got into running when I was younger that's why I continue to do it is to like learn a little bit more about yourself when you're like everything is stripped away it's Mm -hmm. just you and moving forward that's when you learn a lot about like the type of person that you are Mm -hmm. and hopefully whatever i learn helps me like move forward as a professional as a runner as a father as a husband like that's basically why i want to do it is like how far can i push myself and still pull myself out the other side and so (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, that's what we're doing over Christmas. My wife and I also got a like Nordic track treadmill 
So it adjusts incline up to 40%. So because I don't, don't live like super close to trails, um, a lot of my time will likely be on the treadmill during the week, just because I've got a nine month old daughter, I've got work, like I've got a lot going on. And so making sure I'm able to balance those things and those obligations and still get in my training, um, you know, is going to be critical. So that's kind of what that is. I'll, you know, I'll be documenting it on my YouTube channel, which is trail runner adventures. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And the reason I chose to do it like right now when I'm not super fit is like, it made sense in my overall like 2020 training block to like do something right now. So, Mm -hmm. um, later in March, I'll be pacing one of my friends for, uh, for like the last 25 miles or so of the Georgia death race. Um, and it's a really hard race and it's going to really doesn't sound like it. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, death race. (laughs) And so because I'm not super fit, I wanted to use basically this four week, time frame to like really force myself to improve overall fitness but also get physically stronger like that's one Mm -hmm. of the interesting things about trail running is like you see a lot of people who maybe don't look like traditional runners or who don't run a lot but they're like physically strong people and sometimes that's like just as beneficial as being like aerobically very fit because carrying your body weight up a say 5,000 foot mountain is very hard Mm. and it takes like a certain level of strength. And that's basically like why I want to do this vertical challenge as well Is like, I don't have time to run and do a lot of gym work. Mm -hmm. And so it's my way of trying to incorporate maybe a little bit more functional strength training into my training program. And obviously it's not the most ideal uh, as you would probably tell me (laughs) from a strength and conditioning background, but I'm working with what, uh, what I have and, um, yeah, I hope my body holds up, but one way or another, we're going to, we're going to kind of see what we're made of. So it's, That's cool. yeah, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be fun. Yeah. If you're not setting challenges for yourself, you know, like, like you said, it's, it's a good time for you to do that. Like in the middle of a, of your racing season, this would not work out, but you know, right now at this time, you know, this gets you rolling out of bed, you know, motivated to, to put in some serious training and that's always a good thing. And I'm sure there's going to be days where you absolutely, you know, regret it, but you know, you've already, you've set, you've set the standard, you've set the goal, you've put it out there to, you know, to make sure that you're staying accountable. And I think that's a good thing, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I hit publish go on for the it. YouTube video. So once you hit publish on the YouTube video saying you're going to do something, you, uh, it's real. You, you sure as shit better do it, you know? <laughs> Can't back out now, man. Yeah. Sorry. It's, exactly. It's live. It's everywhere. Exactly. That's good. No, that's a good thing to continue to set goals like that. That's, that's really important because most people kind of tend to get into a rut or a pattern where they're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then you end up getting, you know, stale or bored and you look for something else to do, or you, you know, pick up eating as a, as a sport. And then, (laughs) then it gets really hard to, to go run. So, yeah. 
Well, and I think it's important to like find whatever your challenge is in whatever you want to do, right? Like it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be trail and altar running. It doesn't have to be running. Like it doesn't have to be exercise. Like what is your challenge at work? What is your mm-hmm. challenge uh, that's going to make you a better husband or um, whatever the case may be? Like that was the message I took away from like all this content I was absorbing during this time frame was like, oh, these people are challenging themselves in like ways that maybe aren't applicable applicable to me, but like, what can I do to like challenge myself and to push me to be a better like runner and a better person? And like, yeah, I think that that's su- super important. Like complacency is like basically the enemy of success in mm. a lot of ways. And you can define success in whatever way you want, but if you're complacent, there's a good chance that you're not going to, to kind of see success or be successful. Like they, they just are on a scale. And if one's going up, the other's going down for the most part. Mm-hmm. No, I would totally agree with that. As soon as you get lazy, uh, things tend to fall apart. Your success tends to go downhill. So sweet. Well, how can, uh, how can people follow you aside from your, your YouTube page? Yeah. So, Let's see. The only other kind of social channel that I am like fairly active on would be Instagram. And that's just MJ Feldick, F-E-L-D-H-A-K-E. That's my Instagram handle. My YouTube channel has an Instagram handle as well, but I don't post as frequently probably on that. So um, yeah, if you want to learn more about me as a person and see cute baby photos uh yeah instagram is uh instagram's the place for it nice all right man so if you could give everybody one piece of advice or you wanted to share a quote or if there's something important for you to tell everybody what what would that be man that's a that's a good one if i could share one piece of advice so actually here i read this i saw this on instagram the other day and it actually stayed with me and i think it's somewhat relevant here but it was just a photo with the words no pressure no diamonds Mm. and like that stuck with me and it it may sound stupid to a lot of people but like it basically means like to me it means like be willing to put yourself in uncomfortable situations from like a how much you're doing and things like that like be willing to get uncomfortable in order to get better and um, you know, it ties straight back into like the whole complacency and laziness issue. Like, yeah, no pressure, no diamonds. If I can leave you with one parting thought, that would be it. Yeah. That's simple words, but they carry a a really profound message. And it's, you can, you can spend some serious time thinking about that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's more than just surface level stuff. Like that's, that's pretty deep. I like it. So, alrighty, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Good luck with getting that 50,000 feet of vertical elevation gain. That's, that's going to be brutal, man. I mean, but you know what? If somebody sees you do it, then that's probably going to motivate them to give it a try too. So, so thanks. Thanks for doing that. Hopefully it motivates more people than the amount of people that think I'm an idiot. So, um, 
that's all I can hope for. <laughs> awesome. All righty, y'all. Well, thank you so much for watching and listening. Go follow Matt right now. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned for our episode next week. Adios.